Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all other podcast listeners of The Sword. You are listening to JRP Daily, and today I had the opportunity to sit down and do one of my, maybe my first in-person interview, unless you count some of the interviews I've done with Gerard lately, but pretty much my first in-person interview with one of my former, or my only former, business law professor, Michael O'Brien. I always thought he was a very smart dude, and this podcast goes to show that he is, so I want you guys to really listen closely. We'll start out talking about his story and how he got into law and his uh, journey through the military, and then we will kind of get more into later on in the episode a lot more uh, success mentality stuff that I'm pretty much always talking about, but you don't just have to hear me rant about it. You will also get to hear his input on some of the things that I have to say, my input on some of the things that he has to say, and I want your input on the things that we both have to say, so always remember to reach out to me on Instagram at jrpbusiness or at jjustinrp. Twitter is at jjustinrp. My email is justinrp56 at gmail.com. And if you're any type of resourceful, you will find a way to get a hold of me. And let's get right into this episode. You're listening to JRP Daily, where each day, host Justin Phillips will bring you a new topic surrounding entrepreneurship, marketing, and business. You'll also get exclusive interviews from our guests who have all found a way to turn doing what they love into their career. Stay tuned for all of that and more on JRP Daily. It's recording us now. So, listeners of this podcast who that may or may not actually be there, um, today I'm interviewing one of my former professors, uh, Michael O'Brien. So, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I've noticed that you'll know a lot more about yourself than I will. So, go ahead and... Yeah, well, my uh, as you said, Justin, my name is Michael O'Brien. Uh, I'm uh, 35 years old, uh, getting older every day. Uh, and uh, I'm a part-time professor here in Marywood, and I'm a partner at the law firm of Oliver Price and Rhodes, which is uh, based in Lackawanna County, but uh, active uh, throughout northeastern and central Pennsylvania. Um, I, I graduated from Scranton Prep here, okay. here in Scranton. And I went to Georgetown University after that, graduated in 2006, and Temple Law School in 2009. And uh, right after I finished law school and took the bar exam, uh, I was shipped off to basic training uh, uh, with the United States Army. And I uh, served in a combination of active duty and reserve duty status uh, for about 10 years after that. Grew up here in Scranton, actually not far from the university, and I live not far from university uh, uh, as well. And uh, uh, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, that's awesome. You answered just about any question that I probably would have followed up with. So yeah. <laughs> makes things a lot harder. What is your, what do you do as a lawyer? What's your like specialization? Mostly, uh, you know, you took my business law right. class, and uh, a lot of what I do revolves around business law. Um, But what I would focus on mostly is litigation. And if you remember from the class, which I'm sure you do, uh, litigation is the process of taking legal action. And litigation is the the process through which if a dispute cannot be resolved, uh, whether it just be through, you know, two people or organizations or institutions or businesses sitting down and coming to some type of uh, resolution, uh, one uh, of those parties, one or more of those parties will file a lawsuit. And that process, the process of taking legal action, which will ultimately, if there is no resolution reached between the parties, which will ultimately result in trial, um, that's mainly what I do. It's probably about 70 or 80% of what I do is litigation, trial law. Um, and then, you know, maybe about 30% of what I do 
would be other you know general business corporate law, um, whether it be a, a nonprofit corporation, a for-profit corporation, a publicly held corporation, or a privately held corporation. Um, that that general business law would be the other thirty percent, and then you know included in litigation is corporate litigation, individual litigation. Um, uh, business litigation, personal injury litigation, all of that stuff um, that we talk about in, in our class, um, you know, we would, we would, I would include all of that in kind of the broader uh, uh, litigation uh, term. Yeah, so how did you, how did you get into that when you were, like, say, just growing up? So, you, wait, you went high school through, and then you went to college, then grad school, then you went into the Army? Yeah, well, I, I went, I actually, I went in the Army when I was in law school. Okay. So when I was in law school, I went uh, went in the army, and I was drilling. Uh, drill is you know whether it's called drill or maneuvers or operations or whatever it is. Um, you do that about two or three days a month in reserve status, and then that's on top of about two or three weeks in the summer. Um, that's kind of a general reserve component calendar. You do about two to four days per month, and about two or three weeks in the summer, um, and that's it, unless you were to be called up for for something. Uh, overseas or within the United States that would uh, take a little bit more time. Um, so I started doing that when I was in law school. Um, but my contract called for my actual, you know, the date that I would actually be shipped to basic training and go to officer school and all that stuff. My contract called for that to be deferred until after I had finished law school. And so while I went into the Army during law school, I didn't go to basic training until, you know, right after. It was, in fact, it was, you know, a couple days after I took the bar exam. Uh, I was at Fort Benning uh, in Georgia at basic training. All my buddies from law school, you know, were, were on sort of like a mid-20s spring break, you know, going on vacation and stuff like that. And I was, I was down at basic training. And that's, that's where I found out, you know, a couple months later, I found out I had, I had passed the bar exam. So what was, your, what was your motivation to go into the Army? Was it a you know, school a, thing? Was it yeah, a- you know, all of those things, right? You know, there was uh, a certainly the money doesn't hurt. Um, and I always say to everybody, you know, I say to his students here at Marywood and I say to, you know, uh, uh, people that I know who are a little bit younger than I am, people in my own family, um, you know, the, the going into the United States military is one of the greatest decisions I ever made. Um, it, it, you know, there's so much you learn about yourself and other people, um, you know, basic kind of just organizational principles, identifying a particular objective and starting out on the process that you're going to need to complete in order to achieve it. Um, You know, these are things that they're just not going to teach you in high school, right? Um, Kind of setting a goal and working toward it. You know, not leaving the office or the library or whatever it is until you've done what you have to do that day. Um, That's, you know, something that the the military taught me and that, you know, I hope I kind of pass along a little bit to the students here and uh, and that I pass along to, you know, anybody um, who who will listen. But certainly, you know, uh, law school... I was, you know, in the library one day, and uh, I remember kind of thinking that, you know, I'm gonna, I'm here in the library. I've been in the library for, you know, three years straight now, which is kind of how law school is. Um, a lot of time that, that you're studying and working on projects and doing legal research and stuff like that. And I knew I had an idea as to what I wanted to do in terms of my career, in terms of practicing law. And I thought, you know, is there something a little bit more? You know, kind of could I do something a little bit? more exciting on the side. And, uh, you know, I started college in the fall of 2002, and I finished college in the spring of 2006, and then I started law school in the fall of 2006. And at that time, 
you know, our, our country was uh, in the middle of two wars. And um, I knew guys who had been in the Army. Uh, and I would known a lot of guys who had been in the Army through the National Guard, and, and, you know, within the reserve component. And uh, I looked it up. And I kind of just, I, I thought that I want, I always knew I wanted to serve in some way. Um, I didn't think that I necessarily wanted that to be my career um, in terms of full-time active duty for, you know, 10, 20, or 30 years, but I knew I wanted to serve. And I had friends who did. I had friends who did. Uh, my, uh, uh, my friend, uh, uh, a guy who's a Scranton police officer right now, was, was a friend of mine, and, and he was in. He had gone in when we were, like, in high school. He had gone in when he was 17 or 18 years old, and I admired that, and I, um, uh, and I knew that it was something I wanted to do. Um, and so uh, I met with a recruiter, and, you know, that's, it goes from there. You know, they, they kind of explain that what your options are, and, you know, an MOS is called a military occupation specialty, and they uh, can go over all the options that are available to you. Um, you take some generic kind of standardized testing to indicate what you'd be good at, um, but then in some cases, like me, you know, I, I was a lawyer, and uh, they, they sort of told me, you know, we want you to be a, a judge advocate. Um, they didn't really give, mu- give me much of a choice, much of a choice in exploring other military occupations because, uh, um, because you know, I had a degree, and I was uh, licensed to practice law, and, uh, and that's what they wanted me to do. So that's what I did, and I loved it. And I tried, uh, tried over 200 cases um, in military courts as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. And, uh, you know, that whole time I'm sort of building up my civilian practice. And, it, right. you know, sort of not only are there the, you know, those basic skills that the Army will teach you, um, but then there's the more uh, subject matter specific skills that the JAG Corps taught me. And all of that translates, um, you know, extraordinarily well into private practice. Okay, so, so how do you think it would affect you if you had never done the Army? Like, where do you think you'd be right now had you just not done that? Would you be... You know, I think, uh, where would I be? You know, I think that it's probably, you know, still practicing law in northeastern central Pennsylvania and hopefully teaching at Marywood like I am now. But I wouldn't be as, uh, I wouldn't be as good a lawyer as I am. I don't think I'd be as good a a teacher as as I hope to be. Um, And I don't think uh, I would have the, you know, personal, professional skills uh, that I do. You know, I think that, and I, I really do, I would, I would encourage anybody who thinks that they have that potential, um, you know, that calling, that, you know, they do want to serve, uh, uh, you know, something greater than themselves, or something larger than themselves, um, that uh, uh, one of the ways you could do that, obviously, is to serve this country in uniform. And, and not only are you doing something that's noble and good, uh, but you're really, you know, improving yourself. And that's kind of the... You know what we talk about all the time. That's kind of the, the, the something that you have to do every day is to try to, you know, uh, uh, make yourself better. So what was like what was like a day in the life in the army for you? Like, I don't really know much about what people are actually doing when they go into the army. I have a handful of friends that are there, and I just yeah. don't know what they do. But like, what were you doing day in and day out? Well, uh, you know, there's a couple different things. Uh, number one, there's the day in the life of kind of like a grunt which is what you are when you're first in basic training and you're, you're, you're kind of, uh, I went in enlisted. I was not an officer when I went right in. I, I went to enlisted basic training at Fort Benning. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, physical uh, uh, kind of strenuous exercise, things like that, um, kind of even more of a tougher form of exercise, you know, when people are kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, yelling at you and, and making you do all sorts of things that, 
you look back on I mean, it, it's kind of funny. And at the time, it was terrifying. Um, but uh, the military, you know, the first, you know, the first intake process, training, the military kind of uh, tries to get you, number one, tries to get you in physical shape. And number two, it teaches you about, you know, the chain of command and, and the, the basic structure of the United States military and what, what what's expected of you. Uh, it also teaches you the importance of listening and learning and following orders. And, uh, uh, you know, that's one of the, the, the key parts of serving in the military is the ability to follow orders, the, the ability to trust in the people beside you and above you that they know uh, uh, what they're doing and uh, uh, you can work together as a team to accomplish whatever objective is, is put before you. But then after training, you know, after training, after, in my case, it was basic training and then uh, judge advocate officer basic school and then DCC, which was six weeks of additional training at Fort Benning, um, that whole thing, basic uh, officer basic course, DCC, in my case, probably 30 or 35 weeks, something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, after that, you know, the day in the life of a, of a judge advocate is uh, uh, not totally dissimilar from a day in the life of a lawyer in private practice or, uh, uh, or a lawyer who's doing uh, uh, other legal work. Uh, judge advocate in the Army is the attorneys, not only for soldiers who are accused of misconduct, not only the attorneys who are representing the chain of command in terms of uh, uh, adverse actions relative to soldiers who commit misconduct, but also the lawyers who are advising uh, military command structure on the rule of law, on uh, what, what international laws, what rules of engagement are going to govern uh, a particular uh, armed conflict. Um, if, if a commander were to come to you and ask, what uh, you know? What can I do legally to defeat this enemy force that's you know a thousand yards away, holding that particular position? Um, it's the lawyer, not who you know. I always say jags don't make command decisions; the commanders do. But the a judge advocate is like a lawyer is in private practice is is uh, the person to whom the commander is going to look to for legal guidance. You know, what can I do? What can't I do? Um, what are the rights of uh, uh, enemy combatants or uh, uh, foreign troops, enemy troops in this particular circumstance. What are the rights of my own soldiers? Um, uh, how should we treat these particular prisoners? Um, what should, uh, and then, you know, certainly uh, a lot of other stuff, you know, preparing uh, estate uh, documents and estate planning for soldiers here at home, advising soldiers here, in, here at home as to child care and family planning and uh, uh, divorce in some cases. You know, you if, if you look at the military, as a corporation with a million plus employees, uh, the Judge Advocate Corps is the General Counsel's office. You know, we are the lawyers who are advising individual soldiers and the chain of command all the way up to uh, the Secretary of Defense uh, and the Secretary of the Army, Navy, uh, Air Force, uh, uh, as to, uh, uh, you know, what, what are the legal guidelines as to certain contemplated conduct and the rights and responsibilities of everybody concerned. Would you say there's a big learning curve in being a lawyer in the army? Like, is there just a whole new set of guidelines and procedures and practices yeah. you need to learn, as opposed to just being a yeah? There certainly are because you know if you're if you're a lawyer in uh, Pennsylvania, for example, you are going to be mostly concerned with the uh, laws that govern the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and obviously uh, the laws that govern the United States. So you're talking about the state code and the federal code. Um, 
and uh, in the army, that's not necessarily uh, uh, the, the the legal principles that are going to govern every situation. It's going to be, uh, for example, in terms of criminal justice, you're not talking about the criminal code of Pennsylvania or the federal criminal code. You're talking about uh, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the UCMJ, and that's a particular set of uh, criminal statutes that apply to uh, uh, those uh, service members who are uh, in, in the military. And uh, that is, for example, when I was prosecuting cases very often, that would be uh, uh, the standard that we prosecute soldiers under. And when I was defending soldiers, we'd be defending them relative to actions brought against them pursuant to certain sections of the UCMJ. And then, uh, in addition to that, there's all these regulations that would govern, uh, you know, specifically that might govern the Army, specifically that might govern the reserve component, specifically that may govern the Navy or the Marines or the Air Force. And so you'd have to be familiar with that as well. You know, you don't necessarily have to know uh, the administrative separation process for uh, an enlisted soldier with less than six years of service if you're serving in private practice. You know, that's not a that's not that's not something with which you'd have to be overly concerned. But it's the type of stuff that we would deal with day in and day out as judge advocates. How did you take on clients when you're in the army? You're practicing law in the army. You're just kind of assigned to yeah, people like everything in the army. You're just assigned. You know. Um, yeah, you, so I started out as a prosecutor, and uh, I represented the 28th Infantry Division. And what I was doing, essentially, for the most part, is I was prosecuting administrative separation uh, uh, hearings uh, on behalf of the command relative to soldiers who were accused of misconduct. And I did that for a few years in 100-plus cases, and uh, then I switched to defense. And uh, when I was defense, I would defend those soldiers. You know, the soldiers who were accused of some type of misconduct, I would defend them in, in, in those cases, those types of cases. Um, in both cases, you know, it's the way the military works, somebody is, is telling you, hey, you are assigned the following soldiers. Um, and, uh, you know, then you get an email, you know, maybe three weeks later, here's another one, here's another one. Right. So do you ever, as a lawyer, either in the Army or in private, do you ever get just wrapped up in these cases where you just kind of, like part of you just knows that you don't really have anything to work with. Like, what is that process? Yeah, like? well, certainly not. You know, not quite as often as you'd think on the civil side. You know, on the civil side, when you're talking about business disputes and you're talking about litigation between individuals or organizations or corporations, things like that, there's usually both sides usually have something to work with. You know, there's usually uh, most most disputes relative to business started out with some type of agreement, and the agreement will then. Uh, uh, be breached, whether it be through uh, purposeful, intentional conduct, or whether it be through uh, uh, negligent conduct, things like that, or whether or not, um, you know, sometimes if there's a, a personal injury case, for example, if you're uh, either on the plaintiff side or the defense side, both people have arguments, at least to some extent, until finally there could be a resolution to the case which may favor one side or the other. But up until that point, you usually have arguments that, are, uh, uh, that hold some merit um, on both sides. On the, uh, on the defense side, in terms of uh, when I was representing soldiers accused of misconduct, and on the defense side when I was a public defender, um, there are some cases where you don't have a ton, of, a ton to work with. You know, when, the, when, when somebody will come into your office and, and it's pretty clear that they have committed uh, the misconduct um, that underlies the, the charges brought against them or that... that, that uh, was the basis for the charges against them. 
in that case, you know, your obligation is still to totally 100% advocate on behalf of that client and try to try to come up with the best result you can for that particular client. And if they're, you know, if they're dead to rights, then it's working with whether it be the, the uh, command structure in the Army or whether it be with the district attorney's office in private practice, uh, you're, you're trying to uh, work out some type of resolution that will factor in not only the seriousness of the circumstances that surrounded the offense, but also uh, reflects that, that soldier or that individual and, and the promise they have to, to be a productive member of society. So could you explain to me a bit more, what are all of the positions that you can kind of hold in law? Like what does a law firm in total cover 360 as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, so, so my law firm, uh, our law firm, Oliver Price and Rhodes, is what's called a general practice firm. Yeah. What that means is, is we do everything. You know, with, with the exception of a couple things that really require uh, a certain subject matter expertise that uh, uh, that we that we wouldn't provide, you know, securities law, things like that, um, uh, a lot of patent law, we wouldn't really be, be doing something like that. Um, other than that, you know, we do everything. If somebody comes in and it's a matter of litigation, or if it's a matter of business or administrative law, they might come to me, or they might come to some of my other partners. If it's a matter relative to estate planning. You know, we have three or four lawyers who would focus on that. You know, preparing the documents that will provide for the distribution of your assets when you've deceased, when you when you've gone, um, and uh, setting up uh, uh, setting up uh, uh, a way to do that that benefits your beneficiaries the best within the confines of the law, uh, the most um, benefits them as best you can within the confines of the law, um, and uh, uh, you know, some there are some of my partners who just do you know corporate stuff, corporate law. Um, and it's not necessarily corporate litigation, but it's giving advice relative to the day-to-day governance of uh, uh, LLCs and corporations and partnerships and limited partnerships. Um, and then I have a couple of partners who just do real estate law. Now, that real estate could be, um, you know, basic residential real estate transaction, or it could be something much more complicated, a commercial transaction. Um, and then we don't do a ton of it, but we'll do family law. You know, if somebody wants to get divorced. Um, you know, obviously, an incredibly stressful uh, period in somebody's life is if, if they're contemplating divorce and all the legal implications like that to include child custody issues and to include, you know, a division of assets subsequent to divorce. Um, so, a law firm, a general practice law firm, will do all of that stuff and more. Um, but there are certain law firms that would just totally specialize. Right. There might be a, 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 a law firm that will say, we only do personal injury law, or a law firm that says, we only do banking law. Um, but our firm, you know, we have about 15 lawyers and uh, a relatively large staff, and we pretty much do all of it, uh, with the exception of the couple things that I mentioned. Do you think that the general practice is a better way for a firm to go, or do you think that kind of getting into a niche of... I think it depends, you know, you it depends on, uh, you know, like any other business, yeah. you know, it depends on where the business is. And if you think, uh, geez, you know, I, I, I've really done well with a handful of personal injury cases and I really just want to focus on that, then uh, I think that that can be good. You know, you can make a good career out of that. Um, but I think generally speaking for a firm, if you're going to talk about 10 or 12 or 14 or 15 plus lawyers, I think you want to diversify. I think you want to, you want to offer a lot of different services. Um, because, you know, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm only a real estate attorney, well, what if the real estate market goes and then, you know, the, the work is going to dry up pretty quickly. And you, you should have, 
like in anything, you know, you, you want to maximize your skills. You want to maximize the benefit to your clients or your consumers um, and be able to assist them in as many ways as, 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 as they might need. Um, so for me, if I were to advise somebody, uh, and probably a little bit of a, a, a contrary to, you know, uh, conventional wisdom, I think that uh, a general practice firm is, is the way to go. And most, most large, successful firms have been general practice firms. And those firms that specialize tend to be smaller. And uh, some of them are very successful. Um, but I think generally, uh, you'd want to diversify your skills and you'd want to be able to offer your client a variety of services. So how did you get yourself into business law? How did that become your your area? Was well, it just your interest it, in business? Uh, or? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, Jen, you know, we talk about in class, you know, commerce and the rule of law. And uh, that generally tends to be, you know, what do people fight about the most? You know, they fight about money, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what people fight about. People fight about money and they, they fight over, you know, their significant other. Right. Um, and uh, so I think if you, if, if you, every lawyer to some extent is a business lawyer. If you're a divorce lawyer, you have to have some familiarity with the businesses that the husband and wife in a particular marriage may be involved. Um, you have to know that because you have to understand how to equitably divide the assets subsequent to marriage. Um, if you're going to uh, be involved in uh, advising a client as to his or her uh, estate planning, you, you need to be involved uh, to an extent and have a good understanding as to, you know, What's their business? What's their income? What, how, how are they making their money and how do they want to provide for their beneficiaries, their heirs, when that time comes? So you want to be involved and you want to know what their business is. If you're representing a business who's been sued or if you're bringing an action against a business or a corporation, uh, you want to have a pretty good understanding as to uh, what are the day-to-day -day functions of that particular enterprise and, and what are the duties and responsibilities of this employee and that employee. Um, so every, every good lawyer, I think, is going to be a business lawyer. Um, it just, you know, how did I kind of get into the, the field of, you know, whether it be business litigation or corporate litigation or individual litigation, personal injury litigation? Um, that just, I think, was what I was most comfortable with. Uh, when I left law school and you, you start a job just like anybody else and you kind of figure out on the go you know, where your talent, talents lie. And I think my talents, to the extent that I hope I have some, are, uh, uh, you know, are advocating, arguing on behalf of a client and their legal position, um, doing so in front of a judge, in front of a jury, um, and ultimately uh, either succeeding uh, in winning the case at trial or uh, gaining leverage through the litigation process uh, uh, to the extent where then I can negotiate a successful resolution for the client. And I think that that's, that it's just sort of, you know, when you start working, uh, your, you know, your first full-time job, whether it's a lawyer or whether it's this or that, um, I think you, you sort of develop skills and you kind of figure out I'm better at this than I am at that, or I'm more interested in this than I am at that. And uh, you just tend to kind of, if, if you're, if you're alert and if your eyes are open um, and you're, you're looking for opportunity, you can, uh, you can figure out what you're good at and how to maximize your own expertise. Do you ever like branch out from where you are? Does that happen? In the other, or well, I guess if you work in a general practice, you probably have places to point. Yeah, yeah, and that that's kind of it. At my firm, if somebody were to come in with a 
you know, a, a sophisticated question as to estate planning, that probably wouldn't be something that I would handle. I'd probably walk down the hall and say to one of my partners, can, can you meet with this person? Um, you know, if they just wanted a basic will or something like that, that's, that's different. You'd be able to handle that pretty quickly and, and pretty easily. Um, but in terms of branching out, you know, I think, I think everybody should try to branch out every single day, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things that I think my going into the military was sort of branching out from the, yeah. the normal career path of just college, law school, law firm, um, teaching here at Marywood has been, you know, a great experience. And I love it. Um, uh, there's never a time where I'm coming here and I'm thinking to myself, oh, geez, I wish we didn't have class. You know, we have spring break next week and we don't have class and the students aren't, but, but I'm disappointed that I won't be able to, you know, see all, of, uh, uh, see all those students and, and see what they've been up to. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, you find things that you're interested in and you pursue them. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's going to make you money. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you have a good career and you have a solid career and you have an income uh, that's going to support you and your family and your, your, your interests and things like that, um, you could branch out to other things that don't necessarily have to be uh, designed to, to make profit. You know, read books and, and you know, do, do all sorts of things that interest you. Yeah. Um, and all that is, you know, branching out, and that's going to make you a better lawyer, or a better doctor, or a better, better business anything. person, better anything. At yeah. this point, because I know, I know you're like that, because you were, you have, you reference a podcast for everything, and reference a movie for everything, and a book for everything. Yeah. Um, you were pretty well known for that in class last semester. And I also <laughs> just want to, I just want to bring up a sidebar too, and this isn't just to like pat you on the back or anything, but like I have told everyone now that just asks, like, who's the best professor you've had so far? I always tell them it's you. It was one of the best classes I've taken to, and you did take a well, lot I of. Appreciate, I think yeah, I think you got an A, so a I think that of, I'm probably just saying that. But uh, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, I, you know, I love teaching here at Marywood. I'm, you know, every class I have, I'm super impressed with how smart everybody is, how mature all the students are. And, Why'd you start you know, teaching? Did you just wake up one day and you're like, Neh. yeah? I mean, I think you know, my dad, who was a lawyer, uh, taught here for a long time. Uh, kind of doing the same thing, taught business law. Now, he stopped doing it years ago. Um, but I think he taught here for 30 years. And when I first came back, after I had, after a period of time uh, in, in active duty for training in the Army, uh, there was a guy who used to work here, Dr. Dagger. And I think he would have been before your time. I think he's been retired. But he called me one day and said, uh, we're looking for somebody to teach business law. Uh, this particular section, can you do it? And I did it, and uh, I think it was a summer class. And you know, I think a lot of times, you know, uh, that that is, it's tough to do those summer classes, you know, because you know, if you're married with kids and your husband or wife and kids want to go on vacation or something like that, so there was this opportunity to teach a summer course, and I did it and I enjoyed it. But then for a little bit after that, there weren't courses available, and then a few years ago. Um, Dr. Comstock called and he uh, he asked if I'd wanted to do it again and since then I've been doing at least one one class every semester and I love it it's you know it's fun it keeps you energized I've always loved you know the the energy and the atmosphere of a college campus um, you know students who are interested in a lot of things you know I, I, I feel like that you know I still have like that curiosity that people had when they're 18 and 20 and 22 years old in terms of wanting to learn everything and wanting to, you know, read every book and watch every movie and listen to every podcast. And, you know, if I get on a kick about the Civil War, I want to visit every battlefield. <laughs> and then, you know, 
you know, I, I, I still have that. And, uh, uh, and I, I love, you know, being here at Maryville. Like today, just going through the library and, you know, there's hundreds of people around and everybody's kind of focused and intent and, and studying, you know, for the particular exam or quiz that's coming up. There's an energy to that. It's fun. Yeah. It's not always a good energy, but yeah. there's, there's well, an energy. It's good for me yeah. when I'm just walking through. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, you know, when you're, when you're young, you know, when you're younger and you, uh, um, you know, there's, I think you talked about the benefits of the military, and I, I think this is true that, you know, the, the military teaches you to, you know, when you're presented with a challenge, and whether it's an exam or whether it's a particular case or whether it's a, a busy schedule, um, you know, you take a step back and you think to yourself, okay, well, what do I need to do? You know, what, what do I need to do? What am I going to accomplish today? You know, you, you mentioned before that you have an exam coming up. Well, you take it, you know, it's easy to be overwhelmed with stuff like that. You take a step back and you think, okay, well, what's going to be on the exam? Uh, okay, these are the four topics that the exam is going to cover. Start on the first one. You study it until you feel like you're going to get a good grade. Then you go to the second one, then you go to the third. You know, there's, you know, whether it's, you know, the old expression, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> yeah. You know, you start with the first bite. And uh, um, and I think that's, you know, just little by little, you kind of, you can break things down and you can accomplish anything that you put your mind to. Um, you just have to be focused. You have to be driven. And you have to, uh, uh, you know, give yourself the time and, and put in the effort to succeed. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally just I resonate with that a lot to myself and um, would you say that your military experience also helped kind of from a stress management perspective to where you don't you either get more stressed or less stressed about certain situations now that you wouldn't so that's a big problem I see on college campuses which is what yeah. you just start to tread into it's not like there's just all this stress during midterms and finals and things like yeah. that well you know I think you know number one Stress is, I think, it's a natural thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're if you're stressed about your grades in college, to an extent, that's a good thing because it means that you're focused on uh, your career and, and you've set goals for yourself that you think are important to achieve, and that's a good thing. Um, so stress is a good thing. If I'm if I'm stressed about a case I have, that means that you know I, I care about it and I care about the the objectives that I've set for my client, and I want them to succeed. Um, but you, you don't want to be overly stressed where it's going to affect your performance negatively, and you certainly don't want to be overly stressed in the sense that it's going to uh, uh, harm your own mental health. Um, you know, the stress can be productive if it motivates you to work hard. Stress isn't productive if it's going to uh, uh, create circumstances wherein you're not performing up to your potential. And I think, you know, every generation, I think, feels as though, uh, or rather it could be said about every generation that, you know, there's, there's pressure put on them, you know, a lot of pressure put on, put on people. And I think that, you know, not to act like an old man or something, but for, for, for people who are, you know, in their teenage years or in their early twenties now, um, you know, I think social media creates certain, um, expectations as to, you know, what life is and what you can expect out of your day to day life. Um, and, uh, and I think it stresses people out. You know, I think that when we, when we go online, we present, you know, kind of the absolute best image of ourselves, right? Like, you're not taking a picture of yourself when you're at the library studying. You're taking a picture of yourself on spring break. Um, and I think that some people, when they're 
kind of uh, uh, when you see those types of uh, uh, representations over and over and over again, they kind of think to themselves, "Well, what am I doing wrong?" And the answer is nothing. You know, that's yeah. it's uh, 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 you know it, it, what we see online on social media is not really an accurate representation of what what people are doing day to day. And what people are doing day to day, if they're doing it right, is working hard and is is setting objectives and goals for themselves uh, that they want to achieve in order to lead a productive life. Personal goals, professional goals, things like that. And uh, I think sometimes people get caught up in that. And whether or not this generation, this generation of college students or, or, or younger people is more stressed than the last, you know, I, I don't I don't know. But um, you know, I think that those years are stressful. They're certainly stressful for me, you know, my high school years and my, my college years and my law school years. Certainly, you know, certainly you, you have your whole life in front of you, but at the same time, um, you're not necessarily as sure of yourself as you are in later years. You're not as confident as you are in later years. You don't, uh, uh, you don't have the life experience and the knowledge to sort of uh, 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 allow you to differentiate between what's important and what's not. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's part of growing up. It's part of growing up. And in the military, which was your question, there's one thing it does. It, it teaches you to grow up. And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, you know, I, I think it does. I think it, uh, um, you know, stress comes from, in many cases, at least stress in terms of your, your uh, uh, school and work, it comes, I think, from a feeling of being overwhelmed. And uh, uh, I think one thing that the military teaches you is to address problems as something that you can solve and yeah. uh, uh, you take a step back and you realize okay what do I have to do yeah. to to you know to to achieve a result that's beneficial to this client you know what do I have to do to get an A on this exam um, and uh, uh, if you focus and if you work hard and you prepare uh, you're gonna be able to do it yeah, yeah and it's definitely true that uh, something that I'm preaching pretty much all the time is that most people do look they just complain about problems as opposed to looking for solutions to them which is something I make a conscious effort not to do and also what you were just saying about growing up I think is very true my my own personal experience with that is actually I came here for a music education degree the fall after I graduated and I got here and everything just like went haywire on me and I got that overwhelming sense of everything so I actually dropped out a month into college I dropped out, I took the rest of the year off, and I worked and just kind of had to get grounded. And I think I grew up a little bit faster yeah. than some people during that whole experience. Then I came back the following year. So now I'm finishing up this with finishing up my sophomore year now, which would be my junior year otherwise. But and it you is know, just that. In the grand scheme of things, that does not matter. And yeah. It will not matter at all. Yeah. You know, that if, if you finish college when you're 23 as opposed to 22, that yeah. makes no difference, yeah. and you know it just goes back to the idea of, you know, how there are certain times in your life where you think things are so so important, yeah. and then you realize, you know, sometimes soon after, sometimes a ways after, uh, that they're not at all. You know, the, yeah. for example, you know, when you're in high school, is there anything more important in high school than what you think? You know, what would do you know girls think about you, or what do, what do your friends think about you? Are you popular? Are you this or that? You know. Um, and then as you get older, you know, those are things that just matter less and less. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're in, sometimes if you're in college, if you think, or if you're in law school or graduate school, there's nothing more important than the grade I'm going to get on this next exam. 
Yeah, well, in the grand scheme of things, if you get an A minus or a B plus, is that going to yeah. really have yeah. any type of significant effect on your life? So long as you did your best, and so long as you did well. Yeah. No. As long and as you tried. Yeah. The way that I would put it is exactly. even just exactly. that you just showed and, up. Uh, you know, I think it's like an old cliche. Um, just to piggyback off of what you just said, but it's an old. You, know, you hear it all the time, and you could kind of lose sight of what it actually means, but. They say that 90% of life is showing up. Yeah, I've talked and, about that on here before. I did an episode about that because you said that last semester at some point. And I just, I loved that. I was like, he's right because it is. And it's a huge part that attributes my first two semesters. I was a 4.0 student. I think last semester kind of screwed that up. So now I'm like a 3.95 yeah, student. I mean, that's still but, but, much um, better than I but, was. <laughs> much better than the vast but, majority um, of students. It's funny because, you know, people will, people, I get accused of being just like, unnaturally smart or like I'm gifted or this that and the other and I try to tell people all the time I'm not really even I'm not going to say I'm not shooting from 4.0 I mean that's the ideal that's the goal but it's just that I try I do my work and I study throughout the semester that's another thing we were talking about you know how do you eat an elephant you know one bite at a time is that I also love watching people like cram for these tests and cram for these midterms I almost never study for a test on the day of the test because I make it a point to just kind of keep myself wrapped up in the information throughout the course of the semester and then it's, if it's stay I mean that's the whole point is to actually learn it it's not to know it for a yeah. day yeah and that you know then that's that's the way to approach it that's the way to approach it is to uh, you know work on things uh, you know as they come in right like you know if if, uh, if if you're in a class and there's a chapter assigned for a particular week read it that week and uh, and I'm not going to say that was something I always adhered to in college or law school, but you do, and it's benefited you tremendously. Um, but it's something that I adhere to in my professional life, and that very early on in my professional life, I realized that you have to, you know, every single day prepare and work, and uh, uh, don't put things off because, uh, you know, whether it be cramming for an exam. You're not going to get as good a grade as you would have got would have gotten if you digested the information day to day over the course of the semester. And whether it be you know in my line of work, writing a brief or trying a case, um, you're not going to do as good a job of that if you're doing it the day before. Um, and uh, and I think that's a lesson to learn. But just on the idea of you know showing up and trying, you know I'm amazed every day how few people in all lines, uh, you know all areas of life. You know, how, how few people are waking up early, you know, getting dressed, putting a smile on their face, walking out the door and like trying to do their best. Um, you know, that's just a key to life. You just got to show up. You got to do your best. And if you do that, you know, you're going to have a natural advantage over so many other people. Um, because uh, if you're there, you know, I think it was, uh, uh, was it Winston Churchill who said that, Luck is a matter of preparation meeting opportunity. You know, there's no such thing as luck. Uh, maybe winning the lottery or something like that. But yeah. uh, if you, you know, somebody who has achieved uh, a lot in their life, it's usually because they put themselves in the position so that when an opportunity comes up, they are prepared and they are ready to take it. Um, they're not just waiting around for something to happen to them. That, you know, God helps those who help themselves, is what it says in the Bible. You, yeah. know, like you, you, you prepare yourself, you work hard every day, uh, you get a good, you know, you, you, you get a, you, if you want to go into business and be an entrepreneur, you're, you're majoring in, in business and things like that and getting a 4.0, you're doing everything you have to do to put yourself in a position 
where if an opportunity comes up, you have the ability to jump on it. Um, and I think a lot of times people kind of let opportunities pass them by. Yes. And, uh, uh, and then they think to themselves, well, how come I didn't, you know, uh, become, uh, uh, you know, great at this or, or great at that? Or, you know, how I could have been a doctor or I could have, you know, been a, a great banker or I could have run for office or I could have done all these things. Well, you could have if, if you showed up and you did it. You yeah, know, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say and, and, and everybody just, can. You know, everybody can. do it. Everybody has it in them to, to, to make an impact. Um, but few people do because few people are willing to kind of make the effort every day to do it. Because and I mean, sometimes it's just the reasons that get me to that people don't do the things that they want to do necessarily. Or even like you say, like let's say running for office, for example. Like there's probably a lot of people that might want to do that and just don't because they're told growing up that it's not a realistic goal to yeah. achieve or something like that. And it's like, well, you know, the only way to guarantee that you'll never do it is to never do it. Never do it. So yeah. it's, I mean, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, if, if you say to yourself, I want to be a brain surgeon, and somebody tells you early on in your life yeah. that it's not something you can realistically achieve, if you believe it, shame on you. Yeah. You know, shame on you. Yeah. And it just goes to the idea of surrounding yourself with positive people, yeah. surrounding yourself with people who believe in you and want the best for you. And, and, you know, training yourself to want the best for other people. And that's not something always that, that comes naturally to people, right? Like all of us sometimes, you know, have, have uh, 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 a tendency to, uh, uh, you know, have resentment. And, and if you allow that to foster and things like that, it, it only hurts you. Um, so, you know, not only do you want to surround yourself with positive people and people who want the best for you, you have to want the best for other people into in, into uh, want the people around you, your friends, your family, you know, your students, uh, you know, to achieve. You want them to, to make, to live a happy and full and productive life. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that if, if you can do that, um, you're going to have, you're, you're going to have, uh, uh, you're going you're gonna to be able to achieve what you want to achieve. You're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, that's kind of the, the name of the game. Okay. And the other, I don't I don't know what I'd say about it because, like, I don't, I don't like to get too far away from reality in situations, things like that. Here, because some people just aren't made to do certain things. Like, if I if I grew up believing that I was going to be like a star player in the NBA, that probably would never have come true yeah. because I grew Likewise, up. Likewise, yeah. I mean, I, I grew I, up to be a five foot eight. Yeah, it's, I'm like one of the slowest people. In your <laughs> so, life, like, so I was never going to be like a great athlete. So, like, I, I try to I try to be careful when I say like you can do whatever you put your mind to, but. One of two things, I think self-awareness is huge. I'm a huge advocate of just being self-aware and being real with yourself and kind of knowing what you're good at. Um, one person I actually like to listen to a lot is uh, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, mm -hmm. who he always says, uh, what does he say? He has, he has a weird insight on doing what you're passionate about for a living, where he always says, don't follow your passion, but always bring it with you, because he doesn't think people should go and do something just because they really like to do it. But he should go and they should go and do what they're good at and learn how to like to do it and uh, things like that. But I think it is a huge matter of just realizing what you're good at, realizing what you can do and, and going for it. And another part is I'd rather, I'd always rather say that I tried to do something and miserably failed at it, you know, at the end of my life than just what would have happened if I did. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, I think it was William F. Buckley Jr. once said that the the uh, the first step on the road to wisdom is recognizing the confines of reality. I was not going to play in the NBA. I wasn't going to be a major league baseball player. I wasn't going to be the lead singer of a rock band. I mean, that was just something that my talents 
um, would not have provided for. Um, so uh, when you set goals for yourself, you, 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 know, you shoot for the stars, uh, but you want to be realistic in the areas, uh, uh, in the objectives that you're going to pursue. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no one, there's no one in the world who can't uh, work hard, go to college, and, you know, go to law school if they wanted to, or medical school. So long as, you know, you have the ability to go to college and get decent grades and work hard, things like that. And obviously, understandably, there, there, are, there are some people who can't through no fault of their own. Um, but if you have those basic abilities, um, there are certain careers that you can absolutely do. Um, then there are certain people who really have like a specialized skill, whether it be in the arts, in, in uh, theater, in music, or in athletics. Um, and there are fewer of us that kind of like have those skills, right? Like I don't have any of those skills. There are a lot more people who if they put, to, put their mind to it could be a decent doctor or a lawyer. And a lot fewer people who if they put their mind to it would be a really truly successful musician or painter right. or, or actor. Or, or, or somebody who would have the ability to dedicate their life to athletics and be successful doing it. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head when, you know, you want to figure out, you want to be self-aware and, and realize where, where are you better than the next guy? You know, where are you a little bit better than the next guy? Is it, uh, was it in chemistry? Was it in biology? Was it in public speaking? Uh, was it in history class? And then you want to say, well, you know, maybe I was the absolute best student in chemistry, but did I like it? Um, and it, it, the idea is to sort of match those two things up. What am I good at, and what do I like? And for they me, do, they do tend to be. Yeah, there, there tends know, to be like a lot of next overlap. to each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there tends to be a lot of. But like somebody like you, for example, you're good at everything. You know, in terms of academics, you have a 4.0. Um, there's going to be some classes you enjoy more than others, um, and uh, and I think that it's important to. You know, focus on a career that's going to have a good mix of your passion and your skill. And to uh, and if you think to yourself, there's nothing more, there's nothing I like more in the world than playing golf. Uh, but if you stink at golf, like I do, you know that's not going to be your career. You know, that's not going to be your career. It could be something you have fun with with your buddies, but it's not going to be something that you're going to you should focus your life on. Completely agree with that. And also, um, another thing I've talked about before is separating what your passion is about from what you're interested in. Because I get interested in just damn near everything at some point or another in my life. I've tried, I've researched and done things on, and it's really hard finding what you can. A big part of it is just what you can stick to day in and day out for the rest of your life. Like, I think that's where uh, lines kind of get drawn in professional athletes and things like that. Is even if you, you know, I have tons of friends, most just people in general are really into sports now they're into the NFL they're into this that and the other and it's like but I bet any of them could go be in the NFL for like a week and realize what NFL players do to train and they wake up at four or five in the morning yeah. to go and do stuff like that yeah. it's like and it's what, all, go ahead, I'm sorry. what do you still what do you want to do on the bad days is basically the way that I yeah. look at it and that goes back into needing to show up every day yeah. and I think all of us sort of trivialize at times you know the effort that other people put into uh, becoming, you know, the, the best this or that, right? Like it's always, it's, it's I, you see it all the time where people say like, oh, that's an easy job or, you know, wouldn't it be, um, you know, those guys who are in the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball, you know, how easy a job is that? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of perks to it and there's a lot of glamour to it, but those are people who dedicated their lives to playing baseball since they were kids. 
And they were obviously ingrained with a lot of talent, but there was a lot, a lot of hard work that went in that too. And there was a lot of time where other people were slacking off where they weren't. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you, like you said, you wanna, you wanna find a career that on its worst day is still something you're interested in. And like you, you know, I'm interested in everything. I, I'll read books about, uh, uh, you know, whether it be uh, World War II or whether it be um, business and finance, um, biography, history, um, you know, and, and then I'll just want to know everything about that. You know, I, I was just re-watching the Ken Burns documentary on the Vietnam War this past week, and, you know, it's all I could think about is just learning more about Vietnam and reading more books about Vietnam and, um, and, and things like that. I think that's good. I think you want to stay, uh, you want to stay curious. You, you want to, yeah. and, and it may seem like, you know, reading that book about the Algerian War of Independence is not going to translate into what you do day to day, but it does. You know, every, every time you're improving yourself and every time you're improving your brain function and expanding your own knowledge and area of yeah. expertise, that translates itself to whatever you're doing. Yeah. And it makes you, you know, a better and, and, and more capable and more interesting person. Yeah. That's another thing is trying to line up what you do in your free time with what you do for a living, basically, is kind of things that I've just seen people not align themselves with. Because people get confused because... I've just become like a super nerd over the past like year and a half or so. Uh, I listen to podcasts around the clock. I've not watched TV in a long time because well, well, I I watch TV meaning I just watch YouTube videos of like yeah. Joe Rogan yeah. all the time and whatever guests he has on. Um, I listen to I listen to the MFCEO. Have you listened to the MFCEO? Mm-hmm. No, that is one you should look into. Yeah, check it out. Podcast. Um, I had one of the co-hosts on this podcast. I interviewed him. It's. I don't know if it's still the number one, but it was the number one business podcast yeah, out there for a while, and um, that one was very great. He also did an episode on how luck doesn't exist that I was thinking of when you brought that up, but I mean, I just listen to things around the clock. I read business books out the wazoo now, and people don't understand like why, why I don't take like as much leisure time or anything or like enjoy my life more. I'm like... This is what I enjoy. That's yeah, why. That's yeah. why I keep doing it yeah. all the time. No, I mean, you know, I, 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 I think like knowing things. Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly right. I mean, you, different people get satisfaction in different ways, and I've always been, you know, since I was a little kid, I always loved to read, and I would much rather watch like a documentary than I would a NFL game, and I've always been that way. And you know, certainly there's a period of time where like you're the only guy in the room <laughs> who like doesn't really care who wins the football game. And, like, I've always sort of, like, been that way. And, uh, um, but that's fine. You know, that's totally fine. And it's also totally fine for somebody to say, to say you know, geez, I'm, I'm not so much interested in the War of 1812 or I'm not so much interested in, you know, what Warren Buffett's annual letter said. Uh, and I'm more interested in watching, you know, the Sixers game. And that's fine, you know, because that's, that's, that's the way the world is and there's different people who have different skills and different ways that they could make a positive contribution. But, uh, but no, certainly it's, uh, uh, you know, I've never been somebody who enjoys, you know, sitting around. I've, I've yeah. never been able to do that, and I, I still don't. And, uh, you know, I work every Saturday and Sunday, and if I'm not working, I would be do, doing something that I bet a lot of people think is boring, you know, yeah. whether it be, you know, uh, listening to a podcast or writing or, or uh, uh, watching a documentary or something like that. And I think, you know, that's just... Part of life is kind of figuring out what you want to do and doing it. You know, it's not not so much doing what you think uh, is expected of you, not so much doing what you think other people would be uh, would consider to be more normal. Uh, just do do what makes you happy. Just live life on your own terms. Yeah, whatever makes you happy. You know, 
And it's also a huge time management thing for me too, because it's like I can get, I get so much done in a day, which I like one of my least favorite expressions out there is just there aren't enough hours in a day because there are just so many hours in a day when you don't yeah waste them. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, no, I think that's exactly right. Like if you if you wake up early and you uh, uh, you know set your mind to achieving certain goals or into working, you know you're not necessarily going to complete everything that you want to uh, uh, do with your week or your year or your life. In, in, on a particular day, but if you work toward objectives every single day, whether they they be personal or professional, there's plenty of time for it. Yeah. You know, I, one thing I wish I was able to do more is like go to the gym every day. Yeah. But like I've never said I don't have time to do it. Right. If I'm not going to the gym, it's because I'm using my time to do other stuff, yeah. and I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, I really don't feel like working out. Um, so you know, th- there's plenty of time in the day to to yeah. do what you want to do, yeah. and uh, certainly. You know, in the course of, of your life, if, if people get married and they have kids, that, that adds to it. That certainly adds to it. And I wouldn't want to diminish the, the time, uh, uh, the effect that has on, on well, people. It also time. definitely takes priority at yeah. that point, too, where you're probably not really but is. No, I, I think that people can, uh, uh, I think that's just a way that people make, um, uh, by saying, for example, like you, like you said, when, when, when some people will say there's not enough time in the day to study or do this or that, um, with the exception of, of parents. Um, I think when people say that, they're just making excuses. Yeah. No, I totally think that people are making excuses. Every time I hear, I don't have time to do that. You know, I'll tell someone, you know, you should listen to this episode of a podcast. It's like, I just don't have time to listen to podcasts. Yeah. Like, but, you, you know, know time to watch Housewives. Or yeah, and, you know, yeah, or that, or just listen to the same 12 songs yeah. on repeat in the car on your way to yeah. work every day. Or I think, so I, know, like, I know you feel this way, too. I think podcasts are, you know, one of the... Uh, greatest <laughs> things, you know, one of the greatest contributions the 21st century yeah. has had is uh, kind of the creation and dissemination of, like, good yeah. podcasts. Um, there's so many good ones that um, you can listen to. You listen to them in the car. You can listen yeah. to them uh, uh, at your house. You can have them on in the background when you're studying or when you're at work. Um, and that whole time, you know, it's self-improvement. Yeah. Uh, and whether it's, you know, business or whether it's finance or whether it's the law or whether it's history or whether it's news and politics, um, all that stuff, you know, it's just adding to your product. It's all an investment in yourself. Yeah, it really is. And it is just, especially with the podcasting, it's just like a figure out how to use your downtime yeah. better. Because most, I mean, I listen to a lot of them and I don't, I don't ever take time out of my day to do it. It's just, I listen to them mainly either when I'm in the car yeah. or when I'm eating is usually when I'll watch yeah. them. You do it when um, you're, when you're doing something else. I mean, if you yeah. just sat by yourself and listen to a podcast, yeah. you kind of go crazy, but, uh, you kind of do it when you when you're doing something else, and you know I think whether we were talking before about luck is a is a matter of preparation, meeting opportunity. You know, you, you want to invest in yourself every day, every single day you want to invest in yourself, whether it be through working hard and getting a good education and getting a good education with good grades, whether it be to getting you know an advanced degree if that's something you think is going to be worthwhile in your uh, career, your chosen career path, um, whether it's military service, whether it's volunteer service whether it's you know reading a book, listening to a podcast, you know forging relationships with people who you admire and people who you could learn from. Yeah. Um, you know all that stuff is just investing in yourself. And uh, uh, you know if you're getting better every single day, you're going to be able to recognize opportunities as they come along and you're also going to be the best person to take advantage of those opportunities when they come along. Yeah. And it is unbelievable what can happen when you just start doing things like that uh, very quickly. I've already had I've already had guests on here that I like idolized growing up or I idolize now. And it was like within a couple of days, first of all, 
and people are still skeptical about this, but I do also do this every day. I record one of these every day and edit it and upload yeah. it every day along with listening to everything else and doing my schoolwork and maintaining that 3.9 or whatever I have now. And so that's always my fight against the, uh, the time thing, but it's just, I think people really underestimate what you can do when you just try to do it, which yeah. circles way back to what we I think so. I mean, I, th- I think that's right. I think that it's, uh, uh, if, if you, you know, get up off the couch, um, you know, what do they say? I don't even know what it is, but, you know, your average American watches however many hours of TV per day. If you just cut that out and, yeah. and you say, I'm going to use that time to be more productive, whether it be productive in my professional life, whether it be productive in my education, whether it be productive in the uh, uh, personal development and self-improvement, um, you know, I think you see, you know, so many more people who are who are not only more productive in whatever area they want to be, uh, but people who are happier, people yeah. who are less depressed. And, yeah. you know, it's, uh, um, you know, I think having a wide array of interests and, you know, following up on those interests, uh, you know, that's that's really a key to happiness. Yeah, and there, there definitely is like a time and place for luxury and just yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. take care of yourself. But I mean, I know me personally, I still am always trying to do something in my I'm like a big thing that I've picked up over the past like year now is that I'm at the I'm at the hockey rink a lot. I skate or go play hockey like once a week, yeah. and now I score keep down there too, and that's kind of my my watching TV. Time yeah, and then you, but in, in all that though, that is uh, when you're doing that, that's much more productive and, yeah. and much more. Uh, uh, um, it's it's an area of self improvement much more so than you know yeah. watching reality yeah. TV or something yeah. like that. And the, and the other side of that too is that I don't I don't care if people sit around watching housewives all day it's kind of that that combination of you can't do both that and expect all these things to come your way and like yeah no that's people, exactly right it's you know, people that, that do that and then the, wonder why they never yeah. got anywhere yeah else. i mean what w- w- we're talking about is you know how do you become uh and all of us you know work on it every day right like nobody <laughs> nobody has achieved like uh, 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 uh you know or gotten to a point where they could just you know criticize other people but it's a question of how do I improve myself? You know, that, that should be the only thing that we focus on. And that is, I think, the best way to, to make yourself better. Like you said, you know, it's not, I don't spend any time thinking about what other people are doing, to be quite honest. Um, and uh, uh, I spend time thinking about, you know, how I can be better. And, uh, and you know, everybody kind of makes their own uh, decisions as to what the best use of their time is going to be. And there's nothing wrong at all with, uh, you know, watching a few hours of reality television every night. But if you want to quantify productivity and if you want to set certain goals for yourself and achieve certain goals, it's reasonable to sort of think that, well, I'm going to cut back on television consumption and I'm going to focus more on personal development and self-improvement and uh, professional development um, and maybe focus more on studying and focus more on my grades. Um, You know, that's reasonable. But none of us are ever going to be at a point where, like, we're saying to somebody like, "Hey guys, I have it figured out. I'm, I'm, you know, just look at me and you'll be fine. Um, uh, you know, learn from me and I can teach you everything. I don't think any of us will ever be there. Every single day is about improving yourself and getting better. And uh, the, the there's, if you want to improve yourself, one sure way to fail at that is to spend your time thinking on how you can improve other people. Um, it's you want to improve yourself. You want you improve. You start with yourself. Yeah, I always have a a fun little debate I'll bring up on like Instagram every once in a while on my business page or something where people argue over about whether uh, the king eats first or the king eats last 
So for very good arguments for both sides of that equation because I kind of go with the king eats first, actually. Uh, type of side that a lot of people are more of a king eats last type of deal. But I always say the king eats first because you, you have to take care of yourself first so that way you can be enabled to take care of your people then thereafter. Yeah, right. I, so think, like, you know, I think it kind of works both, both ways, right? Like in the army, uh, officers ate last. You know, yeah. we, 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 would, we would eat last. We would not, uh, we'd be the last people in line and things like that. And I think that the same would go for, um, you know, areas in which you have taken responsibility and, 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 and you've assumed a leadership position. You want to eat last. You want to, you, you know, you lead from the front, you know, and, and you want to make sure that everybody's taken care of before you're going to eat. But in the conduct of your own personal affairs, you have to look out for yourself. Yeah. You know, um, you don't want to uh, put your own interests in happiness uh, uh, subordinate to somebody else's. Um, so, you know, I think it's just circumstantial. You know, sometimes you, when you're in a leadership position, part of assuming that responsibility is making sure that the interests of the group are, are uh, uh, paramount uh, and that you're not going to put your, the interests of yourself above the group. But then there are also some circumstances in which you do have to, you know, care about yourself. And you do have to, you know, make sure that, hey, I want to be happy and I want to be, you know, uh, fulfilled. And, uh, uh, and whether that be in a personal relationship or whether that be in a professional environment, you want to make sure that in addition to, you know, being a good person and, and, and doing, uh, treating people with the respect that you'd want to be treated with, um, that you are making sure that uh, uh, you're taking time for yourself to achieve the objectives and the goals that you set for yourself. Yeah. So I think it's both. I think it's like a little of both. Yeah, I think it is too. Uh, well, and it, yeah, it depends on the way you look at it, I guess, but it is just a huge factor of, you know, don't forget about yourself, basically, Yeah. is that, and uh, just be willing to, that, that's another thing, is the whole money is evil debate type of thing, which I always disagree with that, because money, I just think, you know, what a lot of them say, and it's totally true, is that money doesn't change us. It exposes us, and it exposes, you know, there are going to be bad people that get a hold of a lot of money are going to do bad things with it, and good people that get a hold of a lot of I mean, look at Bill Gates. Yeah. Just donate. God yeah, I mean, knows how much. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, you know, I don't think there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to, you know, uh, achieve a certain amount of success that will carry with it, you know, access and, and uh, uh, to material wealth and things like that, or, but it, but it can't be the focus. You know, it can't be the only thing that you want is to be rich, because that's not. You know, you're not going to be happy, right? Like you think about, you know, when you're younger and you think to yourself, "Geez, there's like a toy that I really want, or a video game, or a pair of sneakers." The, the satisfaction you get from purchasing that pair of sneakers is so fleeting. <laughs> and if you were 50 years old and you have a billion dollars. I would imagine yeah. that the satisfaction you get from purchasing that yacht is just as fleeting. <laughs> um, and I think that uh, uh, if, if you if you quantify your success only in terms of money, then you're going to live a shallow life. But there's nothing wrong with working hard and being a productive member of society and trying to be the best doctor or the best lawyer or the best businessman. and and wanting, uh, uh, you know, the result of that to be uh, a financial situation where you and your family are secure and might have, you know, a little bit of money to, to do fun things and, and interesting things and, and, you know, pay for your kids or your family's education or do whatever you think is appropriate. But you can't, uh, uh, I don't think you could just think my happiness is going to be dependent on, you know, uh, achieving some level of financial 
uh, wealth. I think that it has to be beyond that. And certainly, I don't think um, money is the root of all happiness. I don't think it's the root of unhappiness. I think that uh, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to work hard and wanting to achieve the level of success that carries with it certain financial stability. And, uh, and I think that's totally natural and there's nothing wrong with it. But I think if you start you know, putting money first, um, then I, number one, I don't think that's productive. Um, but number two, I, I think that the, it's, it's a shallow way to go through life. Yeah. yeah, I'd say it's very bad to throw basically everything out the window, like in the face of money, just thinking, because I hate when uh, people tell me something, you know, because I, I want to start a business at some point. I don't entirely know what, but like, I'm, I'm gotten really into entrepreneurship. I want to do that. And people say, you should go here because that's where the money is. You should go here. That's where the money is. And I'm just like, I can't carry that in day in and day out. And there are people making tons of money doing literally anything. Yeah. Well, right now, you know, so. if you're good, if you're good at something, you could make money doing it. You know, if you're, if you're better at something than the next guy and you want to go into business doing that, you'll, you'll be fine. You don't have to gravitate toward one particular field. Um, and uh, I think that's right. I mean, you go with where you think your passion is going to be and where you think yeah. you're going to be, where you think your talents separate you from the rest of the pack. Um, but I don't think that, uh, and, and you know, it's perfectly normal and perfectly reasonable to hope that, you know, I want to build a business and I want to be successful with it. And, you know, part of that is going to be that I attain some degree of financial stability and wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you go into, uh, if the first thing you're thinking about is just the money, um, you know, that's going to, that's not how, how, it's not how you become, you know, the best surgeon in the world. That's not how you best, you become the best banker in the world or the best lawyer in the world. Uh, you do that by focusing on what, what you want to do with your life. And if you're good at it and you work hard and, and you have a reputation for uh, productivity and honesty, then I think success comes with it. And then, you know, spinoff of success sometimes is, is having some money to kind of do the fun things that you want to do. Yeah, yeah I think it definitely is a byproduct of just helping enough people. Someone, I cannot remember who said it. I keep bringing up this quote and I can't remember who it's from, but just said, if you help enough people in your life, you'll never have to worry about money because, I mean, that is basically the way it works and that is where most of the, I think, most successful places come from is people just solving problems and helping others. Yeah. I know um, Andy Frisella is a huge name entrepreneur. He's the he's the host of the MFCEO project. Uh, he owns a company called First Form, which is like this multi-million dollar uh, supplement and fitness company but you know he's always talking about it on that podcast his whole journey getting there and everything of this nature about first of all you know it took him 20 years to you know from the time he was 19 to the time he was about 40 to really get to that level of success and now he's got one of the most successful podcasts and all this but it's just like everything else in life it's there is a big problem now where we're only seeing the headlines of everything yeah. it also goes back to the sport thing like I always use the NFL, for example, people say like, oh, that's an easy job. And they work like three hours a week, you know, they play one game a week, but it's like, you do not see what they're doing in that other. Yeah, and you don't see all the effort that they put in to get there. And I, I do think that, you know, there is, a, um, I think sometimes, and I don't think this is, I don't think this is just, you know, kids these days or something <laughs> like that, you know. I think that it's always been the case where people think that they're going to be able to, uh, you know, whether it be make a lot of money or whether it be climb to the top of a particular industry or whether it be, you know, to, to just do all of these things that they want to do 
but that they're going to be able to do it with little or no effort. And, and you know, that's just not the way the world works. Or they're going to you know, be able to do it quickly. I think yeah, that's, or I they're going to be able to do it quickly. And that, you know, you that's, know, it's, it's people that want to be a millionaire by next week that I think really yeah. just get turned yeah. upside down. And You know, that's the, uh, it is, uh, I think I, I read somewhere somebody recently said that there's no reason, there's nothing, there's no unreasonable goal, but there are unreasonable time frames. You know, I think I posted that. Yeah, maybe it was something that you yeah, posted. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm going to be embarrassed. I think it was attributed to President Trump. It was. It was uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> but, uh, but I think that to the extent that it was something that the president said, he was right about that, if nothing else. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think, um, yeah, I, I think that um, you can you set goals for yourself. You work hard to the, to achieve them uh, and to accomplish them. Um, but uh, but you can't expect that you know it's going to happen tomorrow or it's going to happen next week. Yeah, yeah it, it's it can happen in a lot of years. And I know anyone, most people that are listening to this probably know Andy Frisella already. Uh, probably huge fans of Gary Vaynerchuk too, who's a lot more popular in that regard. But I mean, they just always talk about you know eat shit in your twenties so that way you can yeah. live on your own terms. And yeah, and also like you know it's it's the idea of you know. When you're in college and you're in law school or med school or getting a graduate degree or starting an entry-level position or starting a business as an entrepreneur, those are not going to be the times in your life where you have a ton of money. Yeah. And, and like, you know, that, you, you know, when I was in law school, I, you know, everything I, every single dime I spent for the most part, and I shouldn't say every single dime I spent because I'm lucky enough to have you know, a supportive family and parents who supported me throughout undergrad and then supported me in part uh, in, in law school. But a ton of the, you know, the, the, the money that you'd spend would be borrowed. You know, that'd be your student loans. Um, and, you know, just it's, it's not a time in your life where you, even if it looks like everybody else is doing it on Instagram and Facebook and things like that, that's not a time in your life where you're going to have, uh, you know, uh, or that you should, unless you've inherited a lot of money or something, where you're going to have, you know, a lot of disposable income. And uh, uh, and you shouldn't try to, you know, live in a manner or feel pressured to live in a manner that would be, you know, otherwise beyond your means. And uh, and I think, you know, that, that, that is something yeah. I think people feel pressured to do, is to sort of act like they have, have uh, uh, you know, attained some degree of financial independence long before they have. And... Uh, you know, nobody's rich in college. Nobody's rich in graduate school, um, yeah. and, and nobody is rich when they're starting out in their first job or starting their first business in their twenties. You know, uh, other than people who, who who maybe you know have inherited it some way, but that's a really really small portion. The rest of us have to work, and the rest of us have to work hard, and uh, uh, and and I think that it's important to uh, uh, to to not feel pressure from other people when you're young, when you're in college and law school and grad school and things like that or in your 20s to, to live a certain way that you can't afford yeah and I also think it's important too what gets brought up to me a lot of times both from people on the internet and also from people close is and I'm, I'm not good with this but I'm going to try to make it more of a point to do this is to do certain things like travel more in your 20s and kind of live in a very small means while, while you can afford to basically yeah because so many people probably, I, I feel like there is kind of this idea in people to, there is the very classic, you know, go to school, get a job, work 40 years, you know, retire, but it's like, what can you really do when you're retirement age, we, even yeah. if you're 
financially separate. Yeah, no, and you know what? If you could, you know, you run the figures. If you could, uh, if you could, beginning at the age of twenty-two or twenty-three or twenty-four, put away a few grand every year in a retirement account. Uh, if you work hard, and, and you're still going to be able to travel and do yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's definitely important not to, you know, number one, you don't want to do that with anything. You don't want to put anything off. You know, if you, if you say to yourself, geez, I'd love to do yeah. this. You know, I'd love to, uh, uh, you know, go backpacking in Europe for a few weeks. We'll do it. Yeah. You know, do it. Don't, yeah. you know, save the money to do it. Don't put it on a credit card. Yeah. Uh, and don't quit your job. But, you know, accumulate a couple of weeks of vacation, save the cash yeah. and, and, and pay for it as you go. And make the necessary sacrifices. Yeah, make the necessary sacrifices and do it. But certainly you don't want to put things off until your retirement age. Um, but at the same time, that the whole idea of carpe diem, seize the day, doing it now, that doesn't mean that you do it now uh, by paying for it on a credit card. Right. You know, we, yeah. we, we talked about it in class. Most, you know, Warren Buffett once said that the most powerful force in the universe is compounding interest. You know, and you either earn it or you pay it. Um, you don't want to pay it. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to rack up credit card bills because you think, uh, geez, I, I have to go on this trip to Australia. Yeah. Um, but you also don't want to sacrifice life experiences because uh, uh, you say, oh, I'm going to do it later when I have more money. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, make the necessary sacrifices. You know, uh, uh, don't go out to dinner as much and don't do this. And, you know, uh, uh, um, you, know you, you can do it. You can work hard and you can do it and you can enjoy your life. Um, but uh, uh, you see, you shouldn't put anything off. But the things that you want to do now that cost money, make the sacrifices so that you can pay for it as you go. Yeah, and you can find those sacrifices in just about anything too, which is I, I think what people really overlook. And um, I, the most fortunate and unfortunate thing about my entire life is that I just grew up with not a lot of money at all. So I've always just like since I was a really little kid, I was always taught, you know. That I have to buy the I have to buy the off-brand pop tarts. I have to save gas. You know, if I had like, say, I was in high school, I was in band. I was a huge into band. But let's say I had like a band rehearsal at six o'clock. School got out at three. You know, it was a matter of finding a way to entertain myself for the three hours in between yeah. instead of driving home and driving back and driving yeah. home again. Just to just to kind of pinch pennies, basically. Yeah. Which, but it's, you know, those are lessons that, that those are lessons that, that you can apply in your life and that aren't harmful. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, every, everybody in the world, I think, uh, uh, would see some benefit in having a little bit more money, right? Like, you know, who, who wouldn't? Um, but, uh, but that's not where you're going to find happiness. And, and, and certainly, it, it, if you know how to live without a lot of money, which, you know, some people learn it growing up. Some people learn it when they're in college or law school. Some people learn it in their 20s. Um, you know that that benefits. That that's it's a benefit. It's going to be uh, you know uh, uh, something that that allows you to lead a more productive life as opposed to somebody who never learns that lesson. And just one one thing that I was thinking about is in terms of you want to travel, you want to have experiences like that. You know, I, I think that is valuable in terms of spending the disposable income you have on experiences as opposed to like goods or, or items, right? Like the newest iPhone or a Gucci yeah. belt or something like that. You know, I think that it's, it's much more valuable to accumulate experiences as it is, as it, rather than try to have like the nicest uh, X, Y, or Z this particular yeah. season. Yeah. The goal is to be rich, not to look rich. Yeah. yeah. And um, so that's another huge thing that gets tossed around a lot. This just popped in my head. And it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I want to go on a sidebar while I have you here. Have you been following this whole uh, Jeff Bezos 
well, Bezos divorce thing at all. Can you give your input on that since you're I have you know, I, I, I know, you know, what, what's been in the newspaper in that he, um, I guess, uh, him and his wife are separating. Um, and then kind of as a corollary or something um, as an offshoot of that, um, he alleged that uh, David Pecker, what is it, American Media? What's the name of that company? Whatever, the company that controls the National Enquirer and is run by David Pecker, that they had, I think he alleged that they had, um, you know, maybe tried to blackmail him with some you right. know, suggested photos or something like that. Beyond that, I don't, I don't really know, other than the fact that, you know, a divorce, unless there's a prenuptial agreement that's going to be enforced by the court, divorce is generally going to lead to a division of marital assets. And marital assets are loosely defined as any property that has been acquired subsequent to the uh, date of marriage. And uh, Mrs. Bezos is going to be a wealthy person in her own right, I think is the bottom line. Whether or not, you know, I don't know when the divorce is going to be finalized. They'll both probably have 100 lawyers working on it. Um, But uh, Bezos is the wealthiest man in the world. And I think his wife is going to be one of the wealthiest people in the world once that when that divorce yeah, is finalized. Yeah, like that. It would make her like the fifth wealthiest person in the world if yeah. that yeah. settles. Like and I think 50, that, you know, 50. We're, we're, but I wasn't sure how that worked because people kept talking about what happens if it ends up her getting fifty percent of his wealth. But I don't. I feel like that's not exactly how it works. Yeah, no. I mean, it's not exactly it. because because you know when somebody has that kind of money. Um, it's, it's in a lot of different places, right? I think a lot of Jeff Bezos' yeah. money is probably tied up in Amazon yeah, stock. He probably is not going to want to sell his stock or, or give his stock to her as part of a, 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 a marital settlement. I think more likely um, there will be like a lump sum payment in cash along with some real estate property and stuff like that. And Bezos may have to borrow against his Amazon stock in order to come up with the billions of dollars that, that, that is going to satisfy um, uh, a party to that agreement. But but who knows? It will probably be something that will be fought about for a long time and trying to figure out, well, what would be uh, uh, an equitable distribution of burial property and how is it going to be distributed and all that stuff. But you can rest assured that uh, uh, both parties to that divorce are going to walk away with a lot of money. Don't lose any sleep for Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah. He'll be fine. He'll, be, he'll have his net worth cut in half to $60 billion yeah, instead exactly. of 120 But um, Exactly. Yeah, I, I think we could wrap it up there. We've been going for an hour and 20 minutes. So, I mean. Well, thank really you. Awesome uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, it. I'll definitely. I, like, I plan on having you again if you're up for it. Yeah, I can't for imagine sure. you wouldn't be, but um, I'll do this. Especially, I don't, you, you live around. Yeah, I live in. I live uh, not far from the university. If I try to do months. one over the summer, like just in, I'll be here. Screen, basically, that'd be very good because I do uh, uh, Sundays on here. I have a co-host, kind of, except he only does weekly instead of every day. But uh, he's in Florida right now, doing his college. But he'll come back up. But I really want to talk more, kind of in depth on business law and yeah, absolutely. If you uh, uh, types of things, yeah, now that people uh, know who you are. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate it very much anytime, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to JRP Daily. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review so we can continue to come out with new episodes every day.